Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone welcome to the tennis.com podcast i'm one of your hosts nina pantic joined in this episode by my co-host irena falcone hey guys how's it going and we have a very interesting episode for everyone today we are with the owner artist of salzburg media fine arts bruce salzburg bruce welcome thank you thank you so much for having me uh bruce you have a very interesting story that i don't think a lot of people know it has to do with rafael nadal we don't usually have artists on our show, so that's why this is very unique and special, but we want to tell everyone's story when it comes to tennis, even if you're not a player or a coach or a tournament organizer. So let's start with you know where you are in the world during this quarantine and how your life is going these days. It's been very interesting, just like I would say probably 99.9% .9 of the world is trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do during this time. Um, you know, the one fortunate part about it is being an artist, I've been locked into the studio painting new paintings and working with different ideas and working with Rafa and his team, Carlos Costa, to figure out new and inventive ways to drive and build business and do things that we are currently not used to doing. Um, so it's been, it's been a wild, interesting two months of figuring that out. What's your interest level in tennis? Do you play? How did you get into this? Uh, it's fascinating. I'm actually in one of those weird concoctions of I'm an artist and an athlete. So I was a, Big time athlete uh, as a kid, played eight years of baseball, was an all-star in baseball, played basketball. I was an all-star in basketball. Um, basketball led me to tennis. I was uh, a basketball player, freshman in high school, and kind of got into kind of an argument with my coach, basically just decided to leave basketball like in a whim, and I picked up a tennis racket, and I had just, it was a natural thing for me to do. And before I knew it, I had a professional coach. And my coach literally was play, played on the ATP tour. He played John McEnroe. Uh, he saw me play. And then I, before I knew it, I was training with some of the best players in Northern California. And so I played a high school career, and then I went and played in college. And I, I still train. I still train. I tried. Well, I, before the pandemic, I was out there every week. Um, just started getting back out there about a week ago when they released the courts. But uh, tennis is definitely in my genes, and it's so much so that my son plays college tennis. Um, actually had a scholarship to Chapman University his first year to play and made the team as a freshman, and he is also a pro coach now too. So and even though he's still in, co in college, but uh, yeah, it's definitely in my blood. And strange enough, um, Rod Malley, the owner of Art Encounter, that is my distributor, it turns out the way that we got this deal with him was he was a tennis player, and his whole family is tennis players, and when he saw the original painting that I did of Nadal, I just brought it in. I hadn't seen them in years. We, he just freaked out saying, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And when I told him I had 500 of these signed by Nadal himself personally and myself, and we did a whole thing back in the day when we had this painting, he's like, nope, that's it. We're going to do something. So it's been a very unique tennis story all the way around. I can honestly say I think it's been a while that I've actually heard someone say that they're both an athlete and an artist. When was, uh, you know, when was the moment where you figured out like, wow, I actually have a knack for this whole painting thing? 
Well, that one was easier. <laughs> um, I, I was actually an art prodigy by the time I was five, six, seven years old. Um, my parents had me in special school, special art schools, and um, you know, it was something that they noticed when I was one years old that I could draw. And I they actually kept the first painting, first, first drawing that I ever did when I was one. And um, they just knew. My dad was an artist. He never followed that trade. Um, he actually went into corporate business. But my dad was very artistic. He used to do paintings. Um, so I kind of had that gene in me. And I just knew at a very early age that was what I was going to do with my life. We hear so much about young athletes figuring out their skill set at a young, young age at like three, four, five. And to see that art is very similar is interesting. For those who don't know the story, uh, Bruce is the owner of Salzburg Media Fine Arts, a broad range of professional sports themed 3D art of national and international athletes. He got 3D work of Rafa Nadal for those who are not watching this on video. It's behind him, but it's also going to be a link in our episode information. He's also got artwork of Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Prince Fielder, Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki. I'm not a basketball person. I'm sorry. But most importantly, it's the tennis painting that we're really here to talk about, and it's 3D art. So I want to first start with what is 3D art? What's the process for making an artwork like this before we get into the Rafa story? Uh, this was a very unique idea that I came up with, believe it or not, back in 1995. I was doing my very first art show at the New York Art Expo back in those days. That was the largest art show in the world. Every famous painter of any place anywhere was there exhibiting, and it was at the Jacob Javits in New York City, so it was massive. And I, back then you had a jury to get in. So I juried to get in, shared a booth with another um, artist. And when I was there, all I brought was abstract paintings on canvas, because that's what I was painting at the time. I'm a big lover of Kandinsky, Clay, Moreau, um, Picasso. That was my kind of background basically. And we had been in the show for five days. I didn't sell a damn painting. And I told um, my, my fiance at the time and my mom who was there with me, I said, I got to take it. I just need to go walk the show. And I said, you know, if I'm going to do anything in my life, I got to figure out how to do something that no one has ever done. And for some reason, and at the time, my dad owned an art gallery, um, a very, very successful one back in San Francisco, East Bay. And I just, something popped in my head, uh, work on glass, just work on glass. So the second I got home, I started fiddling around with layers of plexiglass. And lo and behold, that's how it was born. I just, we just figured out how to frame it, how to do the whole thing. Um, and what I wound up doing where usually as an artist, you're painting on one level, basically on a canvas most, most of the time, um, you're just doing everything on that one level. But what I wanted to do was figure out how to take paint, look at an image of a painting and break it up and put different parts of each of painting on the glass and then use spacers to separate them. So there's space in between each layer. So you get that natural 3d look, with no gimmicks, no anything, no lighting. It's all based on different layers and different perspectives. So that's how it was born. And the, the rest is kind of history. So, I mean, you're the creator of something that's never been done before. Do you have a patent for this? It's actually, it's a very fair question is I did try to patent it back in the day. And what I found out is art is unpatentable. Um, the process is unpatentable. The great thing about my, and I did patent part of it. So I figured out through my process how to take my paintings and uh, do major paintings that are five feet, six feet, eight feet big on huge layers of plexiglass. Uh, each painting weighs like 300 pounds. And we actually have one here in the gallery as we speak that's, that's that big. It's six feet by uh, four feet and it's an abstract. Um, and those are usually my most valuable paintings. 
but I figured out a way how to knock a hole in the wall and take that painting and, and put it inside the wall and rebuild the wall around it so it was a 3D painting floating in a wall. Um, that I was able to patent. All right, now I want to get into the Rafa part. How did we decide on the Vamos painting? Why Rafa Nadal? I mean, obviously one of the best players in history, but how did you get to him as your kind of muse for this project? It's a fascinating story that actually starts back at the 2014 City Open in Washington. And um, I happened to get in contact with the organizers of the tournament and the tournament director and showed him what I was doing in the, in the art world at that time. Um, I wasn't painting tennis players yet, but I was obviously painted, like you mentioned, Muhammad Ali and LeBron James and Prince Fielder. And I had done so many other paintings and my client list was build, building and growing but I really wanted to get into the world of tennis. Uh, it's, first of all, it's my number one sport that I follow. Uh, I'm an avid fan, do not miss a day of it. Um, you know, I then follow into basketball, football and those things, but tennis is my number one. And I wanted to paint Rafa. Uh, I, I just, he's, he had been my favorite player since he had come into, the, into existence, basically. Um, I was, you know, as a kid growing up, uh, I was an Agassi fan, and Rafa was really the one I started rooting for right after Agassi. And, you know, I just knew that if I could get there, something special could happen with it. Now, that wasn't an easy, and that was a tall task to even start out with. But when I was a sponsor at the tournament, I met someone that had some connections to some of the players, and he basically just did an intro. Uh, he basically just uh, sent a text, made an intro um, and an email, and, and I was able to ask for a phone call with Carlos Costa, Rafa's manager, and he agreed to. He was a lovely, lovely man. And on the phone, I came up with the idea. I went to, uh, I went to my, my investors in my company and I said, I got an idea. I said, let me see if I can get the meeting. If I can get a meeting, then we can go from there and talk how much it'll cost to do something. And so I had the call with Carlos and I basically just said to him, it was very nice on the phone, polite. And I just basically said, Carlos, I have a very unique idea of a marketing program that I would like to put together for you and for Rafa. I said, but there's no way I can explain this to you over a phone call. Would you mind if I came to Spain to meet with you in person and I will show you what I mean in person because it's the only way I can show you what I'm thinking. And he thought about it and he goes, you know, he basically said, okay, I mean, it's your dime. Um, you know, if you're willing to fly from Las Vegas, Nevada to Spain for 30 minutes, I'll give you, the, I'll give you that time. And then you flew to meet Rafa Nadal, bringing the painting you'd already made? For him, so, no, basically, when I work with athletes, um, I don't paint them first. Um, I I actually do contracts with them um, to buy their rights. I have to get the rights to a picture to paint it. Um, basically, so I had some ideas. I had done an entire presentation of different ideas and different shots that I found of him over the years. I really highlighted and targeted the French Open for obvious reasons. Um, even though I had thrown in pictures of Wimbledon and uh, the Australian Open and U.S. Open but I was really targeting a French open picture. And so I basically flew to Spain with a $25,000 package. Um, it, it actually cost us 25,000 just to, just to get there. Um, we had to send a crate that cost me 5,000 each way to get there that had multiple originals in it. I think I brought my LeBron James original, my Muhammad Ali original, each one valued at $50,000 a piece. Um, and then I brought up mock-ups of different imageries that I did. Um, for what the original painting of his would be. I actually built a 3D painting that was like an eight by 10 showing him what I wanted to do. Um, and then I showed other examples. So that's kind of was how I did that.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Bruce Salzberg, the artist who made the 3D one-of-a-kind painting of Rafa Nadal at the French Open. Keep listening. So you get to Spain, and I mean, it clearly was not just, you know, so easy to get there. It clearly was not easy to get that meeting. Tell us what happens once you actually get to Spain. So yeah, my, uh, my president of my company, Stephen Mann, uh, who's an amazing man, and him and I flew there. He's a tennis player too, ironically. Uh, he's a great player. He played in college too, and I still train with him. And, um, you know, it took us a couple of days, two days. We flew from uh, Vegas to New York, New York to Spain. We didn't sleep for two days. We got delayed. Um, and by the time we got into Barcelona, which is where Carlos has, uh, wanted to have us the meeting, um, which was great because we were able to fly into, into Barcelona there. Um, we get there, I think we get in around 10, we get in around 8 a.m. Finally to Barcelona, we get to the hotel, get ourselves checked in. However, the crate, this $5,000 crate packed with easels and fine artwork and everything is not there. And we shipped this thing like days ago. And of course, I, I'm not a freak out guy, but as that clock kept rolling and we had to be, I believe, at the office at, I think it was 1130 or noon, and it was 11 and we've got no crate. And, you know, I'm, at this point, I'm freaking out. Steve's freaking out. We're, we're making calls all over the place. And finally, the hotel finds the crate and it's outside in the parking lot. We literally bust this damn thing open. Um, we start figuring out, now we have to figure out how we're going to get it there. So we had to bust everything open and it took us two taxis. Um, I'm in one taxi, Steve's in another one. We, we are loaded up. Half the stuff we couldn't even get in some of the taxis, they were too small. And I don't know how, but we just somehow arrived on time and we got there. Steve went in first. I stayed down with the taxis in the art and he goes and introduces himself to Carlos. And, um, and he says, Hey, Carlos, we're just going to need some, some time to set up. And he looked outside and he saw that, um, you know, all this stuff we were bringing. He had no idea we were bringing in all of this stuff. He had no clue. And he kind of, he had a good laugh about it. He goes, you know, Steve said, well, we need about 20 minutes to set up. He goes, huh? Okay. And, um, you know, of course, you know, then we had to get everything upstairs and we get set up. We finally get in the meeting and, you know, I kind of go through everything. And once I show them all the original paintings, go through my concept. Now, the great part about the meeting was that 30 minutes turned into a good two hours. So, you know, it was just us with Carlos. Um, and, you know, we, you know, I just, the way I am in meetings was you want to walk away thinking you can at least do something. So I had a card in my back pocket, which was only that I told Carlos, I said, listen, we're here for five days. I booked it just in case, just in case you want to have Nadal see anything. Um, I, I would love to see him, even if it's for five minutes, because he originally asked, can he keep the two original paintings and show Rafa? And I said, I cannot, I cannot let you keep these paintings. I, you know, I apologize. It's just the, the value is, it's too great for me. And that's when I said, please, you know, I would love just five minutes with Rafa if, if, it's, if it's possible. And he basically just said, un momento. He walked away, went back, and, and uh, in that 10 minutes time, we kind of packed up and got everything ready to go so we weren't intruding any longer. 
And he came back and he said, all right, if you can be at this hotel in Madrid at this time on Monday, I will give you that time with Rafa. And I didn't even blink and I just shook his hand and said, done. So that cost me an extra 5,000 because we were actually supposed to fly out on Sunday and I just didn't care. And then we, and then we had to find a hotel. We had to get, get to, to, to that hotel and hopefully get a room. And I wanted to get a room with a suite so that I made it, a, you know, a very nice presentation. I wanted everyone to feel comfortable. And so that's how that all happened. But by this point, I mean, once you were getting this meeting with Rafa, had, had you already like signed something with Carlos? Had you already agreed on something? So it was still a gamble at this point. Bill had no idea if it was a yes or no. Um, all we knew is that we were going to a second meeting, which was great. Um, you know, and obviously we had a couple days to plan on that. And uh, that's basically it, you know. And yeah, you're nervous for three days because you're sitting there spending money, you know, and um, you don't know what's still going to happen. But I liked, I liked our chances if they really got to see what, what I was doing. And um, that's all you can hope for is a chance. This is nowhere near the same, but I've worked with Nadal a few times in very minor interview situations and tournaments and press and stuff. But there is such a level of anxiety when you're taking his time. Yeah. You're planning to meet him. I've never done a one-on-one, but uh, obviously people Tennis Channel have. And there's a different level. You're working with someone who's like an ultra celebrity. So to get five minutes of his time seems so easy to some people, but it's absolutely brutal. And it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. I don't even know how you could have felt knowing that it's your money on the line and all of that. But what did you need from him? Just the okay, a signature he had to invest? Like what's the, what's the deal with him? I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I can't go into the details of the contract, um, per the contract, but, um, you know, basically all I was asking for was the, a, the rights to, to pay, to pay him, um, to do a, a deal with him and, uh, and his charity. And, um, and just work together. And they agreed to, you know, I mean, I'm jumping to the story, which is, if you want, I'll tell you the rest of it and then tell you how that kind of, you know, kind of transcribed into that. But he, he, uh, he signed off on the image. He picked the image, by the way. So, um, and, uh, you know, my time that I spent with him is, is absolutely priceless. I mean, I know that's a credit card commercial, but it's, it's really true. So right now, there are only 500 copies were made originally. And when you make the copies, is it do you make one handmade and they're printed over and over again? Like what's the process of multiplying these and how many still exist? Well, we never put the, the painting on the market back then. Um, and I can go into that story in a little bit, but realistically um, we do a full run and in the run, the numbers change depending on what we're doing. Uh, in this case, we made it a 500 domestic and international edition. So there's only 500 in the world. That's it. Once they're gone, they're gone. We do not reprint. Uh, the plates are destroyed after they're printed. Um, it is, that's why it is a work of art in itself. And the fact that they are personally hand signed by Rafa and myself, um, and we have collector's editions. Of, we have a hundred of them that were actually the artist proofs and the printer's proofs. We then had authenticated by a third party, um, which is, they basically authenticate, like I say, baseball cards, and they authenticate all of the most important sports things in the world. Um, so we even have those, so we even have a double certificate. So we're very proud of that. I'm sure there's a lot of Rafa fans out there that have just been like emailing you nonstop and saying that they want one of those paintings. I mean, are they already claimed for, or are they already like, no, I'm sure. So, you know, going ahead from the rest of the story in Spain, um, we were, um, once I'd signed my international distribution deal with Art Encounter here in Las Vegas, um, 
because I had not put them on the market yet. Um, we had not done any marketing. We'd done nothing. Um, because back in the day when I had everything, I went through some, you know, personal and business problems, unfortunately, and health. So I literally had to take a break. And so now coming back, uh, you know, full throttle, we were, we, we were very fortunate to have great conversations with Raymond Moore over there, the CEO of Indian Wells. Uh, he was a wonderful man that along with Rod Malley, they came to an agreement uh, for us to have the main gallery outside of Stadium 3 in Indian Wells. And they wanted us to do a worldwide international uh, launch. So that was going to be our official launch of the painting. And of course, we all know the history after that is the next day Indian Wells shut down and the rest is history. So we still haven't done our launch because of the pandemic. Um, we're working on some ideas now on the full launch, but the paintings are for sale. We just haven't done a full launch, but the paintings are now officially for sale on artencounter.com's website. Uh, there's a link straight to uh, the Vamos painting where they can buy right there on, on site. And the launch meant just the Vamos painting, right? There's no other tennis photos you were going to include, or would you have all your other, or a selection of other portraits people could buy? No, we actually were just going to do, uh, the gallery is going to be called the Vamos Gallery at the Indian Wells Garden. So yes, the only thing in there was going to be the, the Vamos painting. Um, another thing, obviously, what I do get is I do a lot of commissions. So people will see, you know, they'll see the kind of work that I do in 3D, you know, because my paintings are photorealistic. So they look like a photo. They're just, it's just a painting that I do by hand. Uh, but that's just my style of painting. But they'll say, well, gosh, you know, I, um, you know, they might be a fan of another tennis player. And they'll ask me if I can do an original of that, which that's how that works. So, so I do commissions on any kind of athlete, any sport, anything in the world. So, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, Irina here. Today we have a very special artistic guest, Bruce Salzberg, telling us what it was like to have five minutes of Rafael Nadal's time. Keep listening. So you talked about how your meeting with Carlos ended up being a two-hour meeting. How long did your five-minute meeting become with Rafa? So afterwards, um, after the meeting, and we, we knew where we had to be in Madrid at a certain place and certain time, um, uh, we had one problem, and the problem was is we, weren't, we sure as hell weren't sure how to get from Barcelona to Madrid with all of what we had. Um, you know, outside of just our luggage and our, you know, in our suitcases, we had all this artwork and, and my easels are very heavy. They're metal easels and they, they break apart in two pieces. And we had this full presentation and we finally found out that the only way to get from Barcelona to Madrid, well, obviously we couldn't rent a car. Uh, we didn't have, we wouldn't have known how to get there. Didn't even want to deal with that, um, was by train. So that morning, the, the morning of the meeting which was at eight o'clock at night, um, we got to the train station pretty early. Um, they, they, the train stations are very different than they are in the United States. Um, you have to kind of put your, all your luggage through a, a conveyor belt and before you even get into the train station. Um, and once the security guards saw all this stuff, they freaked out. <laughs> they, 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 they weren't going to let us on the train. They basically said my, my stuff was too big. Um, and that there's no way you can get on this train. Most of them were, did not speak English. So it's very hard to communicate. 
uh, the main manager that barely spoke English at all, and he just would not let us pass. Um, and I am so easygoing, and I don't raise my voice very rarely. Very rarely do I lose my cool. And this was one of those crazy American stories in another country, basically. Um, I started screaming at the top of my lungs, you have to let us on this train. If you don't let me on this train, I miss the most important meeting of my life. If I miss this train, I, you just don't want, you know, it was crazy. Steve, my president, he's like, oh my God, we're going to jail. <laughs> we're going to jail. And um, I don't know how, but the guy just finally got so tired of us um, that he'd let us, on the, he'd let us get through. But the thing about those trains is they leave on the dot. Like if it's 10 a.m., it's 10 a.m. and those doors close, they don't care if you're on it or not. Um, and if I'm telling you, we were hucking those paintings, my, my $50,000 pants, we're hucking them on the train, we're hucking the easels on, our luggage is flying in, the train doors close about five seconds after we get on. We're drenched in sweat. I mean, we're just toast. When we finally get on, and we go back to the compartment where you put your stuff, and if I tell you, it was a, it looked like a whole empty room with shelves, there was so much room there, it was ridiculous. They were just giving us a lot of crap for some reason. And the, the manager of the, that was in the station absolutely certainly had to be on the train. He comes by us as we're loading up, you know, putting things away. And Steve just looks at him and he kind of just like, you know, does a glance, like, look at these shelves, like, really? Kind of like, really? And he said that, really? And the guy just goes, eh, and walked away. So, you know. Now I'm we're surprised you didn't lose it because I would have lost it by then. <laughs> At that point, I just said, I, I was, we're drenched in sweat and we're exhausted. And we just said the hell of it. Well, let's just go sit down and have a glass of wine and call it a day. You know, so uh, thank God we get there. We had pl plenty of time to set up. The rest of that day was smooth. And yeah, 8 p.m., knock on the door, right on time. And I don't get nervous, by the way. At this point in time, I've met so many famous people. I'm very fortunate I have. Uh, you know, back in the day, I worked in Hollywood. I was an art director and production designer in films. And I worked on sets with so many famous actors and actresses. And have you know, I did that for five years. So I had been around people going back to my senior year of college you know, on sets in LA. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, you, you know, just didn't feel like a big deal to me. I, I had done a movie with Bill Paxton and James Caan and Laura Flynn Boyle and Judd Nelson and Rob Lowe and Wayne Newton all in one film. And um, so being around that, uh, it was easy for me to be around the athletes. And I had a lot more in common with the athletes than the actors because I wasn't an actor. Um, but I will say I was a nervous wreck um, right before he came in. And Steve goes, you all right? I go, no, I'm, I go, you know me, Steve. I go, but I am nervous. I am so nervous. I was shaking like a leaf. Um, and sure enough, they knocked and come in. And they were all dressed in suits because they were in between events. They had two, uh, two events they had to go to. And um, Carlos walked in with Ralph and a few other gentlemen. And um, couldn't have been more courteous and so nice and lovely in person. And uh, and he was bigger than I thought, to be honest with you. I was surprised at how big he was in terms of, I know he's listed at 6'1", but he felt taller. Um, you know, he just looked like he was in such great shape, you know, and just, it was, it was just awesome to see him. And he sat down right away. We positioned the couch and he sat down on the couch. Everybody else stood. And we had the LeBron James painting up and I had it, uh, uh, I had a piece of cloth over it so he couldn't see it. Uh, Steve did a little presentation and, and then Carlos goes, let's, let's see the painting. So I showed him the painting. We, we lifted off the cloth, saw the painting, and you see, Rafa immediately smiled, got off the couch, and literally like the video you saw from my video with me and him, when he saw the original that I painted for him for the first time, he did the same thing. Walked right up to it, smiled, just looking at it. And what felt like for another 10 minutes, I don't know. They just started talking in Spanish about it. I, I have no idea what was said, and I never asked. 
And um, then we just started talking. And yes, that five minutes turned into a good 40. Um, they gave us a nice 35, 40 minutes and it was amazing. Uh, they left and I'd say within three minutes, I get a text from Carlos saying he loved it, uh, be in touch. And so we knew it was a success, but we had still, nothing had been talked in terms of what our deal was going to be. And within you know the next month or so, we got the deal done and went to work. I can't imagine what it's like to have Rafa Nadal commenting on your work. I think he's so accustomed to journalists and players and experts talking about him so much, but to have him talk about you and judge you literally to your face. I want to play a clip of that video you mentioned. So in case anyone has not seen it, just to see like his initial thoughts on the painting. So I'm going to play that right now. That court is the most um, important place in my career without any doubt. So that, that forehand is uh, something classic for me in, in that court. That court is so big, you play behind the baseline, so you arrive with a lot of power on the legs and try to, 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 to produce uh, enough spin to, to hit the ball longer again. So it's, it's a, I think it's a very traditional picture of, of myself and in, in the most important place in my career. It is though. I mean, this is this is the Rafa that everyone thinks of, of him at the French Open. And then he goes on to talk about how the painting is so great and amazing and special and how it's a new format of painting. Obviously, we've covered how it's 3D, but I just having someone comment on your work is something that you got used to because having people judge me or judge Irina's tennis, it's not hard. It's, it's not easy to get used to. Uh, yeah, I mean, since I have been producing art for so many years and I've been doing this style and technique for since 1995. So 25 years. Um, for me, the most important thing is like, no matter if it's 25 years ago or today or tomorrow, that if it's the first time someone sees my artwork in person, not like on a video or, you know, on our website or anything like that, but they see it in person. The most important for me is I call it the wow factor. Um, that's generally what always kind of spurts out because I was wow, I've never seen anything like this. And I will tell you, I get butterflies no matter who sees it uh, for the first time. Um, you're honored that people like your work um, and respect it and, and enjoy it. Um, it. As an artist, I think that's all you want is someone to really enjoy what, what you're producing. What would you say is like the biggest difference you see in your own work 2020 to 1995? What, what's been like the one thing that you've either changed or you've just like, mastered obviously you are a absolute master with painting but i'm just curious because i mean you can always work on your forehand you can see the progression of it but like we said nina and i do not know anything about art so we're very novice about this whole thing so i'm just curious like what would you say like what were the baby steps or how did you start and where are you at now um that's a great question and it's almost because I am into sports and play sports, it's very similar to, to be honest with you. I mean, the way I painted in 1995, if you saw a painting then and you look at how I paint now, it's uncomparable to how much I've grown as an artist. Um, I've gotten even better with detail and colors. I've definitely become a master with color. Um, you know, and I work with a lot of colors at one time. I, I mix up colors, I'll work with 50 or 60 colors in one setting. And uh, so you have to mix up those particular colors all at once, which takes several hours before you even start painting. Um, so that part has definitely grown in terms of knowing my colors, but also just my skill and, and the technique. Because my technique is I paint with a paintbrush the size of a pinhead. That's how I get that detail. So it's a very complicated process. And my paintings take a long time. Some can take up to two months alone, uh, just for one painting. Uh, I basically, the size of a tennis ball, 
That's about as much paint as I get done in a day. Wow. That's the wow factor you wanted. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned in tennis and, and having a tennis background. Can you relate to how, you know, in tennis, you have to handle pressure, you have to handle anxiety of performance, you have to hang handle things like chasing paychecks and, and work ethic. I mean, to be able to work all day on, on a tennis ball size is how people work all day on one forehand shot. Can you relate those two? Sure. A hundred percent, because as a tennis player, that's my favorite shot is my forehand too. So I'm always like trying to see which, you know, thank God it's, that was always my money shot. So I didn't have to do too much work on that as I got older, but um, backhand. Yes. Like I, I used to have a two handed backhand when I played back in my, you know, days in school and that, and I switched to a one hander as I got old. So I actually can relate to always trying to figure out how to have a one hander. Like I studied Wawrinka's one hander, which is gorgeous. Um, more than I study anybody else's, you know, feds has come along and, um, you know, now you've got Sissipas, who's got one hell of one and, and team. But yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, I, I relate them very similarly. And I want to ask one of my, one of my last questions, you know, what, what's next? Are you going to try and launch Indian Wells next year in 2021? Are you going to try and paint another tennis player? Or what's the next tennis-related steps here? You know, um, tennis-related, we're, we're not sure who my next would be. Um, we're going to see what happens. Uh, and who wants to talk to us about doing something with them as well. It's, it's something that we're looking at down the road. Um, it's something that, yeah, we probably wouldn't launch till next year, of course, with no tournaments. You know, obviously the earliest one would be us open, and obviously that one's in danger as well. Um, and even if there are tournaments, like the French, which of course would be with no fans currently, for us to do paintings to launch to no fans um, would be hard. You know, we want the fans. We're, we're there for the fans. So the fans can see the paintings and want to buy them. Um, the great thing now is trying to find new, new unique ways of getting the work out there. Um, that's why I welcome people who want to call and talk to me about the painting. Uh, talk to Rod at Art Encounter about the painting. He's brilliant with it. He, he understands my process. Uh, I've known them for 18 years, um, which is great when you have someone who's distributing your work you've known such a long time. So. And this is just a really random question that I want to ask you, and you'll probably think I'm crazy. Uh, Nina, you'll also laugh at this. Um, have you ever painted a room in your actual house? Just like actual paint? Have you gone to Ace Hardware and just like, all right, I'm just going to get a brush here and I'm just going to paint my bedroom wall. I'm going to do an accent wall. I'm just curious because I mean, like, I, I just can't even imagine the whole like idea. The, I, I won't say I painted just a. a a wall one color but what I will say is when my son before my son was born uh in his nursery I painted his entire nursery to look like a floating castle uh all the way around his room so it was actually a full mural in his room so I guess that's that's my story for that that counts that sounds a lot fancier than just painting an accent wall but that counts cool and my last my last question is if someone wants to learn more about your artwork and possibly buy and learn more about all the pieces you do where can we send them uh, you can send them to two places. One would be artencounter.com, and they can go straight to the Vamos painting, and it shows all the different ones we have. We have a regular edition. We have an artist-proof edition. We have a printers-proof edition, and those are very small, by the way. So the artist-proofs and printers-proofs, they, they are only 50 of each one. So those are very, very rare. They can also go to our website, my website, which is ssmfa.com. Uh, we've already set it up there that if they go to the Nadal page, there's a click to buy, and that goes straight to Art Encounter as well, and then they can buy through Art Encounter. Perfect. You know, we need to get on this. I there's mean, only 50. I'm going to start saving my funds, all, uh, yeah, all my podcast income. All right, Bruce Salzberg, this has been an honor, and it's been 
absolutely a joy to learn more about art and how your Rafa story came to be. It's very unique and we're so glad we got to hear it. Thank you so much for your time and it was a pleasure. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.